All right, so Romans chapter 15. We, I think we handed out a new outline last week. And so uh, if you do not have the outline for Romans 15, raise your hand. We'll get that to you. So Romans 15, if you were not here last week, you do not have one. Anyone else? Okay, down there. Can you hand that to them, Keith? Well, I can't get it apart. Thank you. Back row. Anyone want one in the back row? No? Okay. All right. We're good. They already have Romans 15 memorized. All right. I'm just kidding. They really don't. All right. So Romans 15. Uh, so we are in uh, verse 8. Romans 15, 8 is where we kind of left off, and we're going to be in the next section there. Um, and so really verses 1 through 7, we've already talked about this a little bit last week. It kind of concludes chapter 14. And so chapter 14 dealt with what? Someone tell me that was here when we went through 14. What is Romans 14 dealing with? Review for me. Romans 14, what's it dealing with? It's not in your notes for Romans 15. So I guess it kind of is a little bit. What's Romans 14 dealing with? What You got to speak up a little bit. Okay, causing other Christians to stumble. Yeah, that was definitely addressed. What was the issue that was brought up in Romans 14? One of the issues, I should say. The big issue has to do with what we eat. There you go. Okay. The meats, right? Talking about the meats. Okay. Uh, also, it talks about at one point different days of the week, right? Different holidays, different celebrations, different things like that. Okay. And there's two groups that are identified in Romans 14. What are those two groups called? In the church, there's two groups. I should say there's one group, Christians, but they're identified two different ways. No. They're, they're both believers, and they're just looked at two different ways. Yes. The weak and the strong. Yes. The weak and the strong. The weak are who? How do we define the weak or the weak in faith? They have faith. They're saved. But what makes them weak? Okay. Dependent on the law. You could also say they're dependent on the restrictions. They see their restrictions as making them better or holier. Okay. We don't, we have more boundaries than you do. So that makes us stronger, but in reality made them weaker because they were depending on that for their kind of evidence of their faith. Okay. And the strong, they weren't the exact opposite of that, right? They still had some restrictions and boundaries, but in, in comparison, they were freer in Christ. They didn't believe they needed all those boundaries. And this kind of played out primarily in the idea of eating of this meat. Corinthians talks about this, the meat sacrificed to idols. And so it doesn't say in Romans 14, the meat was sacrificed to idols, but we can kind of infer that maybe it was a similar situation. The strong said, hey, there's no such thing as an idol. We're fine. We can do this. No problem. So this is the contention in the church, in the church at Rome, in Romans 14. When you get to chapter 15, one of the things we talked about was that kind of the same thought carries on. The same ideas carry on all the way through the beginning part of 15. And Paul gave some examples or some encouragements, some, some ways to kind of deal with the situation. The first thing he said was, receive one another. 
right, to receive one another. And we talked about that. Uh, and we don't receive one another to judge or debate or argue. We receive one another because God has received us in Christ. The other thing we do is to edify one another. What does it mean to edify? What's that? Encourage. To build up, right, or lift up. Right? We're edifying. We're building up. In Romans 15, the beginning part, he encourages us to please one another. Please one another. And there's some amazing verses here in the beginning that talk about humbling ourselves and making sure that we are thinking of others before ourselves. So Romans 15, 1 through 7 deals with that idea that we need to live in a way for one another, not selfish reasons. And then in your notes, Romans 15 uh, 8 through 33 is the next section, if you will. And so we're not going to cover all those verses at one read, but we will read a few verses in just a few minutes, okay? And so in your notes, it says Paul transitions in his talk to the Romans, his letter, to dealing with ministry. Now, this isn't really a weird transition because if I'm thinking of one another and I'm trying to please one another in Christ, doesn't mean that I'm you know, you, they walk all over you. It just means that I'm going to elevate your needs over mine. So the example would be this way. If a weaker brother comes to my house for dinner who does not believe they should eat this meat, I being the stronger one, because I am stronger, can easily say, I'll restrain my liberty and grace in Christ so that I don't cause my younger brother or our weaker brother to stumble. That's the idea. I'm thinking of the other person rather than self. And in this regard, Paul says, you can limit what you can do for those that need to be encouraged. We don't leave them there. We strengthen them. We encourage them. We want them to grow. But we start off with saying, I can limit what I see as possible. Um, And I, I love that idea. He references the example of Christ. If Christ could serve us the way he did, not making himself the focal point as far as saying, what did he say? I've come to serve, not to be served. Then we can do that for others. And so he kind of moves into this idea of ministry, which is the natural next step from thinking of one another. If I really love another person, I want to minister to them. I want to serve them. I want to do what's needed for them. Uh, In in your notes here, it kind of breaks this down. Uh, And I think you have this in your notes. Paul uses three different words uh, in the Greek for ministry in the last two chapters of Romans. So in chapter 15 and 16, Paul uses three different words in the Greek for the English word ministry or ministering or to minister. In uh, uh, chapter 15, verses 8, 25, and 31, and verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, it is a simple word for service or servant. Our English word deacon comes from this word. So in Romans 15, 8, for example, And we'll read the whole 8 through 13 in just a moment. But you can look at verse 8. It says, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister. And that word minister is the same Greek word we get the word deacon from or servant. Okay? Romans 15, 16, and 27. He used the ordinary word for service in public office or in the temple. So it's connecting it to this idea of public office or serving in the temple. In Romans 15, 16... Uh, for the word ministering, he used the word that is nowhere else used in the Greek New Testament, New Testament, and it means to perform sacred rites, to minister in priestly service. So it's interesting to think about this. Paul, in writing this letter, 
in the last two chapters of Romans, he uses three different Greek words for the same idea of ministering or to minister. And it's interesting. I take away from this that ministry takes many forms and depends on who is performing the ministry. For example, in Romans 15, 16, it was specific to what Paul was doing, perhaps in comparison with other ministries, because the wording is that of taking an offering, who are the Gentiles, before God as a priest would in the Old Testament. So again, in Romans 15, 16, let's look at it. It says here that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering, and that word ministering is the one time it's used. It's only used in this verse in the whole New Testament. It says here, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So Paul's almost kind of saying, in the same sense that the priest would offer up these sacrifices, I'm offering up the Gentiles. I'm offering up these that are believers that are not of the Jewish heritage. I'm offering them up. He's kind of doing that priestly work of giving them to God. And so it's interesting that Paul, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, use different ways to describe different aspects of ministry. So now that we have an idea of kind of what he's getting into, where he's moving in the chapter, um, any questions on that? Just the idea of using those different terms and all of that. Any questions on that? Just we're all on the same page? Okay. So the ministry of Jesus to the Gentiles. This is where we're going to see kind of Paul start breaking up this idea of ministry. So Romans 15 verses 8 through 13. Can I get a volunteer to read that section, verses 8 through 13 of Romans 15. Anyone want to read that for us? Okay, Renee, thank you. Okay, so there's, this is kind of summarizing that idea of Christ really did minister to the Gentiles and continued to do so through the New Testament. There's a phrase in there that if you highlight in your Bible or if you underline in your Bible or if you're just making notes, um, I love that title, the God of hope. That's not really going to be talked about in the notes per se or in our message, but I want you to think about that phrase, the God of hope. I love that he is defined and described as the God of hope. Uh, so Romans fifteen eight is kind of a summary for the ministry through the Gospels and Acts 1 through 7. So Romans fifteen eight, as Renee just read, is basically kind of like a summary of the Gospels and Acts chapters 1 through 7. Uh, what happens in Acts chapter 8, the beginning of Acts chapter 8, what happens? Does anyone remember what happens in Acts chapter 8? I'll give you a little bit of a hint. Acts 7 is where Stephen is stoned and killed. No. Saul's converted in Acts 9. 
Acts chapter 8. Someone go there real quick. It's kind of interesting. It's a turning point in the book of Acts. I'm just making a point of why we said 1 through 7 is kind of the divider line. Acts chapter 8. Somebody go there and just read the first verse. I think it's really the first verse. Who's got it? Go ahead, Sandra. Okay, so we see this ministry of Christ being given to the Jews originally, but also to the Gentiles. And then in Acts chapter 8, we see this transition all of a sudden. And now the ministry continues, but it's not so localized. It's not primarily to Jerusalem, Judea, right? Now it's being spread out through the known world. And so that's why we say the Gospels through Acts 1 through 7 is kind of a, a lumping in together of the way that Christ ministered. Acts chapter 8, we see now God is spreading out throughout the known world, which is really a cool thing is Acts chapter 8 verse 1 is a fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right? What does Acts 1 8 say? Go ye therefore be my witnesses, right? Into what? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, Right? Did they do that initially? They went to Jerusalem. They went to Judea. We don't really like the Samaritans, but that started to happen. And all of a sudden it says in Acts 1, they went out throughout, right? They went out from there. Except the apostles, they stayed back. Now, we know some of the apostles did actually travel out. But the idea is that the church, the believers, Acts chapter 2 believers, are now spreading out. They're now going out, right? And this is God accomplishing his global purpose. Christ began his ministry to the Jews first, but when they rejected, he transitioned to a ministry with the Gentiles. Obviously, he ministered to both, but as a point of emphasis, Jesus was showing that the gospel would not merely remain in Israel. Right? This is why, uh, you guys remember in the gospels, Jesus starts teaching in the parables. He starts kind of changing up his ministry a little bit. So he's actually transitioning away from only talking to the Jews to actually ministering to the Gentiles as well. Romans 15.9, we read that. Romans 15.9 could represent Paul's ministry as he witnessed to the Gentiles. Romans 15.10 could be connected to Acts 15 and the council at Jerusalem when the Gentiles were given equal status with the Jews. So it's pretty amazing here to see how in this short few verses, we see these summaries of the way God has worked up to this point. Because in, Acts, or in Romans 10, 15.10, it says this. And again, he saith, rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. So you've got the Gentiles rejoicing with the Jews, the saved Jews, who are his people. But really, what is that showing? If they are in Christ, they're all God's people. So kind of here you see Paul working this kind of summary of the ministry of Christ. Then we see in the next section of verses here, Romans 15, verses 14 through 21, a uh, lot of verses here, so I will kind of maybe break this up a little bit. We're going to see Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. So we see Christ's ministry to the Gentiles. Now we see Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. So Romans 15, uh, 14 through maybe we'll say 17. So 14 through 17, if I can get a volunteer to read that. Pastor Greg, thanks. Didn't raise his hand, but that's okay. And then 18 through 21. 18 through 21. Pastor Keith, thanks. That's awesome. I, I knew you wanted to. All right. So uh, 14 through 17. Greg, go ahead. 
Yeah. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's a really powerful testimony of Paul, especially those last two verses. And we're going to get to that in a little bit here, that Paul had a, had a desire to preach Christ, not where our foundation was laid. Um, Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, I like, and I put this in your notes, I like how Warren Wiersbe breaks his ministry down as a whole. Um, and so this is in Wiersbe's commentary, and I like the way he kind of broke this down. Uh, it was received by grace, verses 14 through 15. It was centered in the gospel. It was done for God's glory, and it was done by God's power. I think that's a great summary. If you had to sit back and go, how would I summarize the ministry of Paul? How would I look at all of his mission endeavors and the work that he did? I think this is an amazing kind of a summary section in Romans 15. It was received by grace. How did Paul come to be commissioned to go preach the gospel? Not because he earned it. If anybody didn't earn that position, it wasn't. It was definitely him. He did not earn that call. He was given grace. God showed up on the road to Damascus and called him. Okay, But he was faithful, and then he responded and received it. It was centered in the gospel. Just look at those few verses real quick. Look at how many times he talks about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It's, it's all there. It's the central drive for why he did what he did. It was done for God's glory. Uh, Paul, all throughout his letters, but especially here in Romans 15, made it clear it was God's glory that was on display. And then it was done by God's power. It was done by God's power. Verse 19, right? Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. It wasn't Paul that did these things. It wasn't Paul's ability. Uh, Read Corinthians. He says a couple times, it wasn't me. It wasn't that I preached well and spoke well. If anything, I'm weak. What is the, the name Paul? I, we might have talked about this way a long time ago. What does the name Paul mean? Does anyone remember what the word, the name rather, Paul actually means? Little of stature. Okay, little of stature or small in stature. You think about when he started using the name Paul, which we see after his conversion at some point. Okay, uh, and we talked about this before. God didn't change Paul's name from Saul to Paul like he did Simon to Peter. He doesn't do that for like, or Abram to Abraham, right? Sarai to Sarah. He doesn't do that with, with Paul. All of a sudden, we start seeing in the book of Acts, he just starts being called Paul. Right about the time he's called in Acts 13. Many believe that he actually had two names. Saul was his Jewish heritage name. Paul would be his Roman name. And for whatever reason, God impressed on his heart. Paul started realizing, man, I, I'm not big in regards to making a name for myself. It's all Christ's glory. It's all his grace. So instead of using the name Saul, which what do we think of when we think of Saul? Who was Saul in the Jewish history? Who's Saul in the Jewish history? King Saul. Not just King Saul. The first king. The very first king. And so when you think about that, that name carried weight. Now Saul didn't end his life all that great, but he started off okay. Started off pretty good. So Saul goes, I'm not going to go by that name anymore. I'm going to take the name Paul, little of stature. How did they identify Paul in his speaking abilities? They said he was a babbler. Now, some say that means he stuttered. Some say he just means he didn't speak well. Um, 
He does say in Corinthians, I don't come with eloquent preaching and teaching, right? I'm not, I'm not eloquent, okay? But obviously, when you look at the ministry that Paul left behind, I mean, people were getting saved constantly in Paul's ministry. Churches were planted. Churches were growing. And yet he was just a small babbler who got called foolish and they laughed at him. They mocked him when he talked about the resurrection. And yet God used him to do great things. And I love that it was all done by God's power. So quick application. That means it doesn't matter your weakness, your inabilities, your lack of ability, your lack of intelligence, your lack of Bible knowledge. None of it matters. If you're Christ-centered, gospel-centered, the power of God will work through you. So Paul also had a vision for reaching those that truly did not know Christ. Verses 20 and 21. It says here uh, that he wanted to reach unreached people groups. He wanted to reach unreached people groups. Uh, Christ, where, obviously, he preached Christ wherever he was. He didn't just go, well, nope, you guys have heard of Christ. I'm going to go preach somewhere else. He would preach Christ wherever he, is, wherever he was. And we too must preach Christ wherever we find ourselves. But there is something powerful when a people group that has no knowledge of God or the Bible and you or I, or in Paul's case, we're the first ones that introduced them to the light of Christ. To me, this verse, when I was reading this and studying this, you guys probably guessed where I'm going with this. There's a, there's a ministry I thought of. And what Ethnos 360 does is exactly that. It says, listen, we're not going to go. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with going to be a missionary in England or Ireland or any of these kind of first world countries where they've already had the gospel. They've already had churches. Nothing wrong with that. But man, what ethnos does to go to people groups in the middle of places where nobody would want to go. And I'll never forget when we were there, they said, if you don't have 20 years to give, don't start. It's going to take you 20 years at least from first time into the village to establishing a thriving local church. It's going to take you years upon years just to learn the culture, the language, to even introduce Jesus Christ into their culture. Because they don't start with John 3.16. They start with Genesis 1.1. And they go all the way through building a case for the need for a Savior. And then here's the amazing thing. And I've shared this before, I know. But I'm always blown away when, when we heard the story about the village that was told of Christ. People already knew a Messiah had to come before they even got to Jesus. And when they were teaching through who Jesus was and the birth of Christ and all this, somebody in the church said, that's the Messiah. They didn't even get, they never heard the story. When they just said, this is how Jesus was born, they go, that's the guy. And then they said, we know he's going to have to die. These are, they just heard the Bible for the first time in their life, but they could put it together because they had the Old Testament understanding to say, he's got to die for our sins. Imagine being that missionary or that team of missionaries. Let's say that because it usually is a team in the village. And you get to be the first ones to introduce this village to Christ. Where in some cases, two, three hundred people get saved in one church service just like that. And we're not talking about like, I raise my hand, I sign a member card, I'm saved. We're talking about full out, joyful explosion of people are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might think, that's so cool, I'd love to do that. You know how those missionaries are there? Because somebody was back in a, in a capital city handling their, their finances their arrangements so they can have the support to be on the field. Somebody else was in another place buying their groceries and taking them to them so they had food so they could stay in the jungle and do the ministry. Because why? 
I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Now, I'm not saying we don't preach Christ everywhere we go, but man, if God gives you an opportunity to go somewhere where Christ has not been preached, take advantage of it. Just, just get involved with that and watch God move. So, uh, Paul's future plans and the requests of the church. This is the last part of Romans 15. Paul's future plans and requests of the church. Uh, so Romans 22 through 33, we're just going to split it about in half. Um, so 22 through like 28. If I can get a volunteer to read that, 22 through 28. Who wants to read? If there's nobody who wants to read, that's fine. I'll read. Sandra, okay. And then 29 through 33, somebody who hasn't read yet, maybe. Anyone? Going once, going twice. Rick, you want to read for us? You're looking at me like you're going to raise your hand, and then you do nothing. I was like, I don't know. Does he want me to call on him? I don't know. Okay. So, Sandra, go ahead. And then, so, what did I say? 28 till 28, and then 29 through 33, Rick. So, go ahead. Okay, so God of hope, God of peace. Mark that one down or, or highlight that one to some degree because I love how Paul starts and ends this section. Uh, Paul had such a vision. When you read this, this is Paul. Well, first of all, he had a vision, but he also understood God's will was above all things. And he constantly, I mean, how many times does he say, if God wills, if God would have it be, if it can be this way. But he has a vision. He was never one to think he had done enough or that it was for someone else to go here or there, as we see his desire was to go as far as where? He says, I want to go to this nation, this country. I want to go here, and I'm going to go there through you. What country did he mention? Spain. So think about that for a moment. Where Paul travels, what all his travels have taken him through Israel and uh, in and around the kind of Greece and those areas, he's saying, I'm going to Spain. That's a vision. That's him saying, I have this predetermined destination in my mind. I believe that Paul's desire 
was to come to Rome and use it as a base camp to travel to Spain and other countries along the way in a similar way as he used Antioch as a base. So remember, Paul gets sent to Antioch, Acts 13, they called out of that. He used it kind of as a starting point, did basically there's like three circles, right? Kind of went out and around a little farther, a little farther, a little farther. And that's what I believe he wanted to do was go by way of Spain. I think that's what he means when he says that in Romans 15. So the question we have to ask ourselves is Paul was so given over to this vision. This is not Paul who hadn't already accomplished a great deal. This is a guy that has done so much. And the question I wrote down in my notes that I was challenged with was, am I this focused in the cause of Christ? Am I this consumed with the cause of Christ that I'm thinking that far out in the future to say, man, God, this is what I pray you will allow me to be a part of. Are we that focused in the cause of Christ? Do we have this kind of passion to reach people? Again, I'm not saying we need to be overseas missionaries, but we need to think ahead and plan to have interactions with others for the sake of sharing the gospel. What does that look like today in everyday life? It's, I know I'm going to have lunch with this person in a few days. Lord, give me opportunity to share Christ. I know I'm going to see so-and-so in school this week. Lord, give me opportunity to share Christ. I know I'm going to have this family member over my house in a couple of weeks and they don't know Christ. Lord, give that opportunity to me. And we're coming up on holiday season, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas, lots of family coming over. If you don't, if we don't think of it this way, we'll miss it. We need to go into that Thanksgiving dinner. If there's family that don't know Christ, saying, Lord, give me opportunity. Surrender that night to him or that dinner to him and say, God, this is your time to use me. Paul was also taking a special offering. And that was referenced there in that section. Paul was also taking a special offering from the churches in Greece to the saints in Jerusalem. And this is in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. We see that reference. That's the gift that's talked about in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Here we see Paul saying, I'm going to go deliver this gift to the saints in Jerusalem. This is a powerful expression of love from the Gentile believers to their Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, the Gentiles are ministering to the church in Jerusalem as a byproduct or fruit of Christ ministering to them through the church at Jerusalem. But think about that for a moment. Why is it Paul and Barnabas get sent to Antioch? Who sent them to Antioch? The church of Jerusalem. Hey, go investigate this. Go see if they really have the Holy Spirit. Go see if they really know Christ as, as we think they do. And as Paul goes there, God calls Paul to be a missionary. And now all of a sudden we see this amazing fruit start to grow. So as the church in Jerusalem was struggling, what is the church in Antioch and the Greece area there in Greece? They say, hey, listen, we can do something for them and we're going to send this gift back to them. This is why Paul says they are debtors to the Jews. We see that here in verse uh, 27. Verse 27, and it pleased them verily, and they're debtors, they are. So the, the Gentile church, they are debtors to the Jews, to their brothers and sisters who know Christ, who happen to be of the Jewish heritage. For the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. What's it saying? We've been blessed spiritually from our Jewish brothers and sisters, so we can do this physical thing for them. We can meet this physical need. Paul has a desire as well that this offering will help bring further unity among the churches as some Jews still believed the Gentiles needed to conform to the law following salvation, as we see with the case of the Judaizers. So this is kind of an interesting, amazing moment. I think we read this and we go, that's cool. 
Think about what's happening here. The Jewish church in Jerusalem is primarily Jewish believers. The Gentile church, which is primarily Gentiles, they're sending this amazing gift to say, we just want to think of you and we're praying for you and here's some help in your need. Bringing further unity to the church. That challenges me to think, what can we do for not only our church, but how can we minister to other churches in need? How can we support the body of Christ in this community? Paul's prayer request. Paul gives a couple prayer requests here. Uh, and Paul often asks the churches to pray for him. And here he uses the term strive together in prayer. Uh, this term means or refers to an athlete that is giving his best in the contest. When we pray, we are giving it our best effort and realizing that it takes work. It's not we fight with God to get what we want. It means we do not pray in a casual way without heart or passion. We come boldly before the throne. So what does Paul ask? He asks for a couple of things. A couple requests we see here Paul gives. First, he asks to be delivered from them in Judea. He says that he would be delivered from them in Judea, those that don't believe, basically. He asks that the offering may be accepted by the saints at Jerusalem. And he asks that it is God's will that he may come unto them in joy and encourage them, or that they may be refreshed. Paul closes with his own prayer for the church, that the God of peace be with you all. So, in conclusion to this chapter... Similar to chapter 14, the thought of this passage continues into chapter 16 as we see the fruit of Paul's ministry as the believers minister to Paul. If I can encourage anything, it's this. Let's take away from this chapter that because Christ ministered the gospel to us and then through Paul, we as Gentiles have received the gospel, so let us minister the same to others. As we've been ministered to, so we minister to others. That's Romans 15. I want to open it up real quick for any questions, comments, or thoughts. Questions, comments, or thoughts. Pretty straightforward passage and chapter. Any questions, comments, or thoughts? No? All right. So just so you guys know where we're going, we've obviously got one more chapter in the book of Romans. A um, couple things I want to ask. So you guys got to give me some feedback here. Let me know what I'm trying to do. We did the first eight chapters, and then we did like a, a quiz thing. You guys probably remember that. We did a quiz over the first eight chapters. Um, I, would, I mean, I'd be fine to do that again if you guys want to do that again. We can spend just a Sunday night kind of reviewing chapters 9 through 16. Um, and then after, so we'll finish 16 either next week or the next two weeks, whatever it looks like. Then we'll do a review of the 9 through 16 with some basic questions, quiz questions, something like that. Um, and I think we use that quiz app thing. What's that called again? Kahoot. There you go. Yeah. That's, yeah, there you go. She's awake. She's like, yeah, I know that one. I can answer that question. Um, that was awesome. Uh, so yeah, we can do that. And then after that, um, we're going to look at the, I'll look at the calendar and get a date in mind. Uh, I mentioned before, I really want to do that study, One Race, One Blood, which is a, a study from Answers in Genesis about kind of tackling the racial issues we're seeing and how we can approach that biblically. And so I'm really excited to dive into that. We're going to do that on a Sunday night. And so uh, we're looking at maybe the next three weeks or so, maybe starting that. Um, and so we'll see how the Lord leads in that. So just so you guys know where we're going um, and where we're going to kind of end up in the next couple of weeks. All right. And I'll give you more information too. Um, I don't know if there's a workbook yet or not. I haven't really looked into that yet as far as with that study. And so I'll do some more research this week, let you know next week if there is a book. And you don't need it. You're not required to have it, obviously. It's just be up to you. I'll just let you know the information, and then we would go from there. All right? Any, uh, anything else, guys, before we pray and dismiss?
Renee. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you noticed that. Um, it's amazing to think about so many times when we are ministering for the Lord, we can just keep giving out and giving out and giving out and giving out. And we forget that we need to be filled in too. And I love that. How does he want to be refreshed? By being with God's people, by just seeing them face. Remember, he doesn't know this church. He did not plant the church at Rome. And so he's saying, it's going to refresh me to see firsthand all the things I'm hearing of what God is doing. And so absolutely, I love that. Yeah, being with God's people doesn't just, we're not just refreshing this way. It's also coming this way as well. Absolutely. Anything else, guys? All right. Well, let's be dismissed with a word of prayer and ask God to be with us this week. Father, we thank you so much for today. Lord, what a great day it's been to be in your house, to be with your people. Uh, Lord, everything from the service this morning to uh, Jen and just the dedication uh, with Jack, Lord, just what a great blessing it was to be a part of that. Uh, Lord, for tonight with the membership class and then also this service now, Lord, I just, I'm so thankful that we get to be uh, a part of what you're doing here at North Goodland. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to encourage us and strengthen us. And as Paul says, Lord, that we would be refreshed, uh, not just by being with each other in the body of Christ, but Lord, we know that the greatest way to be refreshed is to spend time with you. And so I pray that we would do that daily so that we could be filled up and lifted up so we can do what you've called us to do for your glory. Father, help us as we go into this week. Help us to be intentional in our conversations. Help us to see opportunities as they come and to be able to respond by giving an answer for the hope that lies in us that the gospel would be just on our lips and on our minds and we would make a difference for you because it's your power working in us. Lord, I know for a fact that there are people in this room that instantly think that's for someone else. Only someone else can do that. I could never do that. I could never do what so-and-so does or what so-and-so did. Father, I pray that we would, that we would run from those excuses. I know in some cases they're justifiable when we see our weakness or we see our inhibitions or I mean our limitations. But Lord, I pray that we would, I pray that we would realize that you are a God that works in all of that. and You are the God that strengthens us. You are the God that gives us the ability to make a difference in this world for your glory. And so help us, Father, to believe and to know that you have a, a plan to, to reach this world for Christ. And you desire, you've You've communicated to us through your word that it's the church that you're going to use to do that. And we are the church. We, we gather together as the body of Christ. And so I pray that we'd go into this week with that kind of intention, not making excuses, but just looking for opportunities and then taking advantage of them for your glory. Father, there is nothing greater we could do with our lives than spend them living for you, making disciples and sharing Christ. Father, you be glorified in all of this and bless now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.